They told me for years there was no money in podcasting. Well, they were all wrong. This is an ambiguous podcast solutions original podcast. A podcast years in the making. Centered around You're listening to Talking with Tarasha with your host and founder of Ambiguous Podcast Solutions, Will Tarashuk. Join Will and his guests as they talk about anything and everything under the sun. Now, without further ado, let's do this. Yes, I know I have gray hair. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Talking with Tarashuk podcast. My name is Will Tarashuk. To me with all the questions and all the answers, you know, it's not this kind of podcast, but it's okay. My name is Will Tarashuk, T.S. Thomas, A-R-A-S-H-U-K, and I am joined this week by my old friend, the man who replaced me at WRHU, the screening room, Mr. Sam Bassell. Sam, welcome, man. Good to see you, Will. It's been a very long time Dude, since I've time. actually seen you. Uh, it's been a long time. In the flesh. Yes. It's great. You look great. Thank I love, you. I love Flash. I've got to represent, man. My podcast and everything. I got it. Well, it's not my podcast this is on, but movies, superheroes, got to represent so it. So that's Marvel's Flash or is that the 80s Flash? That's got to be like the 80s Flash. Okay, so it's talking like Ted Flash. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. We're going all the way back. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I was thinking about that like, literally this morning. I was thinking about the movie Ted. I was like, wow, that movie really made Flash like a pop culture icon again. Oh, absolutely. It, it made him a zeitgeist back in the day in like the 80s. It, it was. It was, it, it was hilarious. Hilarious. He's, he's Flash, dude. Yeah. It was, it was, Flash was fan fiction for something that became something. It wasn't. It might have been not Star Wars. No, Star Wars was fan fiction for. Um, I don't remember who, but George Lucas had fan fiction. It became Star Wars. It yeah. Like, it was some eighties proper. No, that could be eighties. No, because it was seventy seven. Yeah. It, it was more like westerns, like samurai yeah. stuff, and that stuff. It was like that. He incorporated that within the sci fi stuff. Someone so. took. Someone took Flash. Yes, basically, <laughs> someone incorporated that and made it what it is today. Yeah. Basically. All right, we'll Google it. Yeah. All right, so Sam, how are you, man? <laughs> I'm good, man. It, it's it's been a while, like you just said. You know, I've been working. I've been podcasting. It, it's it's been a it's been a crazy couple of uh, years, but you know, it's it's great to see you in the flesh it's great to see people in the flesh again it's been it's awesome yeah, dude yeah. it's been a wild ride so you're the host of the sam bassell podcast we were talking yeah. a little bit before him before christian really cut me off uh <laughs> but bassell last name bassell i guess it was french yeah so i right I, from what i've always asked about my lineage and heritage i'm basically like a mixture so when people ask me like oh your last name it's this or that and i'm just like I'm not really 100% sure. It's like, it could be a little percentage of this, a little percentage of of English. It could be Slovakian. It could be, it, it could yeah. be a whole bunch of different things, honestly. Like, it, it's just, my on my father's side, I am like a United Nations. On my mother's side, she, my, her family comes from Honduras. So, oh, okay. yeah, for her, her mother's side comes from Honduras. So it's like a little, a little of everything, a little pizzazz here, a little nosh there. I did not know. I did not know your mother was not Honduran. So yeah, you're definitely the United Nations rolled into one. I'm similar. You know, my mom's 100 percent Italian. Uh, DeSantis, no relation. Uh, but DeSantis, <laughs> that's her maiden name. So obviously, I'm half Italian. And my dad's side is kind of this mostly Polish, and then this Eastern Europe. So a little, little okay. bit, of, a little bit of Slovak, a little bit of Czech, a little bit of Russian, a little and Ukrainian. So okay, it's an interesting time for me right now. Uh, definitely, definitely. But it's for the sake of argument, is because it's just easier. I'm 50-50 Italian Polish. It's just, okay. it's just so much easier to say. My kids will be, I guess, twenty five percent Italian, um, a little bit of Polish, and then whatever That's jazz, a nice mix. whatever jazz is. I know jazz, <laughs> I know jazz Guyanese, but if we have kids, we'll we'll be a bunch of mutts too. That's a perfect mix, honestly. Why yeah, I mean, not? eventually, it's, it's, it's America, dude. Everyone's gonna be a mix exactly. of something. Exactly. I mean, that's what makes this country great. It's the beauty of it. Absolutely. All right, so let's go back to the beginning. I met you at WRHU. 
Hofstra, Radio yep. Hofstra University. We did the screening room. Mm-hmm. Uh, founded by Christian Ledigowski and Tommy Smart and Mandela Wells. Yes. Yep. Those are the founding fathers. And goddamn, they, I, I, I hope to get Christian on this podcast. Eventually, I got to actually reach out to him. So, Christian, if you're watching. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, I think he's local, right? Where does he live now? I you think, know? I don't know. He might, I don't know if he still lives on Long Island or if he lives in like in, in upper west new york i'm not really 100 percent sure i know he's got his own business he's killing it out there yeah, so he shout is. out to christian but yeah. he started the screening room which was the sunday morning talk show um all about movies yeah you know i took over for um i forget who was the extra host might have been tommy as yeah. the first mic yeah uh, and then you took over for me mm-hmm. so yeah. what was the, what was the screening room like for you because for me it was the most fun i had at hofstra and i was in a frat Oh, I mean, listen, screening room was one of the reasons why I even got into WRHU. I mean, yep. it was, I am a huge movie buff like you are. I love everything about it. I love following the industry. And I, when I signed up for WRHU, I was looking for something like that. And when I heard about it, I was like, this is ex- right up my alley. And meeting Christian, meeting Tommy and everybody, they were so welcoming and they just brought me in and showed me the ropes of everything. And it was just a lot of fun. It showed me how to be creative, but also kind of business savvy. Because yeah. I know Tommy was a lot more of the creative side and Christian wanted to employ more of like the business side and what he's doing now kind of. So it was just, it was everything I really kind of wanted it to be. And it was just a, a hell of a time, such a fun ride. Working with you, working with Liv and everyone that I worked with and when everyone else was kind of gone, it was just a, a fun, fun time. Except it was me, Liv, and Patty Hopkins. Yeah, that, that was, was the crew. That was the three of us. And it was just, because Pat brought that flavor because he, he was a film major, right? Yeah. He was, that indie film scene. Yeah. Where it just, he would talk about movies and things just like, I had no idea what he was talking about because I'm not a filmmaker. <laughs> but just listen to talk, I was like, Pat, I could listen to you talk about movies for literally ever. Yeah. And Liv was behind the board and always just a great time. And she just, she bounced off my energy really well. So the best compliment to this date was Liv, Liv telling me, Will, you were just my morning coffee on Sunday morning. Oh, that's great. Because I don't know. I don't, I still just don't know how I did it. Because I would wake up Sunday morning just sometimes hungover as all hell. Yep. Walk into that studio just like a zombie. That music comes on. I go, good morning, New York. It's just game time. Oh, yeah. Right? Yep. yep. I even try to honestly try to replicate you, right? To give it energy right away when the morning happened. Like, that's what you want to give it. And you want to give the, the, the audience and the group energy. Because like you said, like, you're coming over. It's like. Eight, eight, nine o'clock in the morning, you're getting yeah. up, ready to go. Like, you don't want to be there on a Sunday like that. But when you get that energy going, like, everyone's ready to kind of get into the groove like that. I don't know what it is. It's like once that red light turns on, I do my clap or whatever. Uh, it's even on the way over here. I was just pissed off because it's just super. It's one of those like annoying days. Yeah. That everything that happens just annoys you. Yep. And now, now that I'm here, it's gone. It's, it's all good. It's completely you're gone. Yep. So it works on Sunday morning, works on a Friday afternoon, works at Thursday yeah. at midnight. And Just, you still got that energy too, honestly. Like it's still there. I remember it. It reminds me yeah. kind of going back all those all those years I was working with you in the screening room. Like it's still there, man. You still got it. See, I wish I had those recordings. Um, I wish that's something I did. Cause I, they had them all in the DAW. Yeah, in, they did. In the uh, in the control room. In the, not, it was A, B, what's that thing in the middle? It, it was the, um the that was that was Annex, I think. Annex. I think they, like, they call it Annex. So they, they had yeah. them all in there. I should have went and Took them all a zip file and a hat. I wish I still had them. Yeah. I mean, whenever whenever I recorded stuff, I made sure to put it in there. And then after every show, I would put it on my Google Drive just so mm-hmm. I had it just in case, mm-hmm. just in case, God forbid, if they ever were like erased or forgotten, like I would have it for like a resume or whatever to like show people basically be like, yeah, this is what we did kind of in a way to kind of preserve a little history. Yeah. A little, a little yeah. bit of history. I mean, I have everything I ever recorded. Like I have podcasts that don't exist anymore that I, oh, still, wow. I still have recordings of just 
just in case. Yeah, because you never know. Like, if, if you want to show it to somebody one day or just be like, yeah, I used to do that, like, you want to be able to kind of have the records of it, basically. Yeah. And so it's not, like, erased whatsoever, kind of. So did you did you have a tagline for screen? Because I had Good Morning New York off, off of Good Morning Vietnam. Did yeah. You, did you have something that is kind of, like, your staple? I did. I, I don't know if it was really kind of, like, movie-based like yours, but I would always say... What's going on, screeners? And at the end, I would always say, keep on screening, keep screeners. On screen, which you still do. Yeah, I still do it you on my podcast. Do. Yeah, I still do it. I, I, I always want to try to have a little kind of, like you said, like pizzazz to it. Just kind of, again, just kind of bring audiences in to kind of feel like they're a part of it in a way. And like they're yeah. part of a group and a family. So I, I would, and, I, and I wanted to keep on doing that with my podcast, like you said, because just to keep that going. Yeah, because someone who does podcasts, like, you know, ambiguous podcasters, and I speak to people who do podcasts or want to do podcasts all the time, they tell me, how do you structure a show? Right, like for that, that Good Morning New York, it honestly might have been completely organic. I don't think I thought of something like that because that's not typically my style. Like, I'll take something, and if it works, I'll do it again. I'll do it again, and then I'll run with it. Yeah. So, like, uh, my podcast I did with my friend Nash, it was called You Mad Bro. That's one that doesn't exist anymore. And since it's you know covering things that the internet's mad about, so I'd start off the podcast going, "All right, all right, everyone, settle down." <laughs> the idea is they're coming in all pissed off, so I settle down. Right. And you know that's something I did once, and then I just kept doing. But I didn't plan that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It just happened. So like, do you do you do that for either for the screening room or like even your own podcast? Like, just keep on screening. You took that from screening room, but do you also plan organically, or is this kind of very rigid? It is. It is organic in the way that like whenever I whenever I'm trying to create something, it just it comes to me. And then I utilize it throughout every single one of my podcasts. So yeah. it's it's kind of a mixture of both where it is kind of planned out. But at the same time, if it's I try to make it organic as well, like or like if something else kind of comes up or if I want to kind of switch it up, I'll try to switch up certain words or whatnot. But I always want to especially at the ending, I always say keep on screening. In the beginning, I just kind of like just greet people like it's just like, hey, everyone, what's going on? Yeah. Like, welcome to welcome. the podcast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Like, welcome. Like, you know, here, like, you know, come enjoy. Listen to this stuff. So it's just it's a mixture of both, really. Because the only thing I actually scripted was like the Willie T top 10. It was like whatever <laughs> yeah. week, whatever we called it. It was every every week we had a top 10 list of something. And I was like, OK, you know, this is this is like this is a scripted segment. And mm -hmm. I, want, I want to make it funny. I I'm not that good at improv, right? <laughs> it's like I, I wish I had those because I would cut all those up because I forget what the list was, but some of them I just had everyone dying. <laughs> really? Yeah, I don't remember what it was. I couldn't remember what it was, but it was just, it was just that one liner that you don't think it's going to work, and then it just works. Wow, yeah, that's true. I mean, it's just if it goes, it goes, really. And I will say, like, for my podcast, like, the only things that are really scripted are the beginning and the end when I'm, like, introing being like, hey, like, what's going on? And then kind of, like, saying, like, this is what I'm doing. Like, these are the the topics that we're going to be covering. I do a few notes, but even that, I'm just kind of like off the cuff, like whatever's on my mind. Like, yeah. I'll pretend to look at my at my notes that I do, but then at the same time, my brain's just running like it does because it's wired to. It's like, you know what you're saying. You know what you're doing at this point because you've been doing it for a while. So I, I try to, it tries to be as creative as possible with that in that kind of a way. Yeah. I mean, most of my podcasts are off the cuff. You know, there's certain guests. Like I talked to someone yesterday who I don't actually know personally, but I actually met in person. Um, but like I had I had a list of questions just in case because mm -hmm. there was a there was social media manager. It's like okay, I want to ask a bunch of questions on social media, right? But like I also don't know this person, so I don't want to go in cold and I'm stuck, right? Yeah. So like I had those questions. I'm lucky. I did, I'm happy I didn't go to them most of the time because the old podcast, like the uh, I think one maybe one through ten of this podcast, mm -hmm. like I had all my questions written out. 
Like, okay. I, I also have a bunch of questions that I ask off the top of my, off the top of my head because that's just what happens. Right. But most of them were scripted out. And the screening room itself, like the segment beat by beat was scripted so out. This this blog was talking this movie. This blog was talking that movie. This blog was talking that movie. I had notes of that movie I watched. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. but other than that, you just kind of go off the cuff a little yeah. bit and just kind of like roll with it. And I think that I think someone like you and, and other people that I know they're great at like improv like that improvisation where they're just able to kind of like riff it off, like just kind of come up with what whatever's on their mind while they're recording. For me, I got to be able to at least again like have some kind of structure in that sense, being like, okay, like I know what I'm talking about here. And I did, I took that off a of screening room to kind of just have some kind of structure just to kind of be like, okay, this is like a B and C of what we're covering. But then everything else is kind of like, just fill it in. It's like a basic skeleton. I like to think of it. It's like, right. you've got the skeleton and then you fill everything else in as you kind of go basically. And you do the solo show, man. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> tough. Yeah. Like I, I applaud you for that. Cause solo shows oh, thank for, you. for me to do are very difficult. I tried doing one sort of, Never released them. My God. But I still have them, <laughs> just in case. Right, yeah. Right, the recordings are still there. Yeah. They still exist. But it's it's hard for me to not bounce off of someone. Mm-hmm. Now, you do interviews as well. Yeah. But your main show is mainly just, you know, you front and center. Mm-hmm. How? <laughs> I mean, it, it just, it really kind of started off where I knew I had an extra year going at Hofstra, and I knew I wanted to keep doing this. I knew this was something that I wanted to keep pursuing, and I knew I had to keep leave screening room behind, let the new kids come in, take over, do their thing. And so I wanted, I knew that I only had one microphone. I didn't, I didn't have like this awesome studio that we're in right now. So I just knew one microphone, that's all I needed. And then if I ever had like a guest or something on, it'd be great to have them on. But I felt confident in myself enough not to be cocky, but I knew that I could do it by myself and keep people entertained and, and, and be able to, to bring them information. And I, I, base myself off of other YouTubers that do kind of the same thing mm-hmm. where I know they've kind of, they have people that they riff off of, but I know they can also do one man stuff as well, where they're talking to audiences or they're able to kind of come up with stuff on their own and just kind of be their own person. So I, I like to think that I, I've been able to be inspired by other people that are able to do that kind of thing. But I just also felt confident in myself and being like, I know I have the information to do it. I know I can fill up the time. As long as I can fill up the time and keep it entertaining and have a good personality, then I'd be able to do it. And and it was tough in, in the beginning because, you know, you're starting out, you don't know how it's going to go, but after a while you feel confident enough that yeah. I know how to do it, the the results are showing, and it was just, it, it goes from there, really. Who are your YouTubers? So um, my YouTubers would be John Campia, who's a, a movie yep. vlogger right now. Yep. He used to do AMC Movie Talk Collider. He's got his own business right now. Um, I would also say Christian Harloff over at um, Schmoes No. I miss, yeah. I miss them so I know that they, they were so good their, I, their podcast was huge inspiration for me yeah 100 percent. so I, I, I they do the ultimate movie at showdown yeah christian's got his own thing yeah but anyway continue who else yeah so it would be him who else would i say i would probably say there's another guy na- named um john roca i also would go by yep, people like roca. uh chris stuckman yep. jeremy johns like yep. reviewers like that so it's just people that are able to again fill up time be entertained and, and sometimes i'm not kind of the goofy comedian entertainer and, and and kind of like instill some of the things that they do and they do it so brilliantly but for me i like to kind of just like present really cool things and i like to kind of make it as like a sports center for movies basically that's yeah. how i always envisioned mm. movie talking like that in okay. a way and john campia they were able to do a great job of it with amc movie talk collider movie talk and their whole company they're able to kind of bring that flavor to it and that's those are some of the areas where i'm like i i want to be able to do that 
and I can be inspired by them and be able to kind of come up with my own thing with what they were able to do too. So yeah. those are definitely some of the inspirations that, that they I were definitely great. I still listen to Jeremy Johns in high school. It's actually funny. My friend Joey, uh, probably junior year, sent me a video of Jeremy Johns just roasting the ending to Mass Effect, like Mass <laughs> Effect 3. Yeah. And like that one video, just roasting that whole franchise, I subscribed that day and never took it <laughs> off. I still love yeah. Jeremy Johns. He's been for 13 years, that guy on YouTube. Yeah, and he still does it today, and he's yeah. just as good. I he's, mean, he's even better. Yeah. He's great. Yeah, he's so good. He's one of the top ones. Like, It's crazy when whenever I see like a big review trend or something, like a big movie's coming out, and he's what him, and, and I know Stuckman doesn't do it as much anymore, but he's really somebody that whenever a review comes out, he's trending on like the top like 20, 20 YouTube yeah. videos on, on online, basically. like It's incredible to see what he does. Yeah, he's great. Well, he has had twins. Uh, recently, and he's trying to film his own indie film, which is like, like a million bucks, which is crazy. Like his Kickstarter just went above and beyond. So he's a big horror guy. So I'm, I he's a great guy. I'd yeah. love to meet him one day. You know, yeah. he's definitely a YouTube idol. Um, other than there was uh the flick pick, which was he was Stuckman's friend, and then mm -hmm. from them and call I don't listen to him anymore, but in college was uh pretty much it. Yeah, uh, and they were like college guys, maybe a little older, studio atmosphere, like a just a great vibe, and actually one of their guys' brothers. Went to Hofstra. Oh, did he really? It was a friend of mine. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's awesome. So that was this. I was like, damn, small world. <laughs> that was really funny. But let's kick it. Let's kick it back to the screening room. Because mm -hmm. I remember the interview process. Because I got to find my replacement. Um, you know, Christian had the interviews and the tryouts. Yeah. And I was like, Christian, I want to sit in. And mm -hmm. he's like, oh, of course. <laughs> and after it's like, okay, the only person I can see replacing me is Sam. This, I don't know why. Reminds me a lot of me. He's got that. He's got. He's got the voice. It's like it was just. It just all fit together because it sounded like you sounded like a podcaster. Mm -hmm. Because before I did screening room, I started the Kings of the Rings podcast, which I still do today in my fucking dorm room. Wow. Right? Yeah. So like, because we had we had audition mm -hmm. uh, through Hofstra. Yeah. So I had my friend from school. Uh, we was over Skype. I had a little mixer, and then we plugged it all in, and then that kind of led me to a screen because the screen to me felt like a podcast yeah like it didn't feel like the sports department which is you know covering sports you get that, mm -hmm. get that announcer voice oh yeah rounding second or or the news breaks yeah and they were so cutthroat i mean that in a good way yeah kind of because yeah. it was very competitive because that's what it's like in real life yeah screening was just like you got to kick your feet up yeah you know? literally. like it was yeah. so much fun but yeah what did you what did you think of the whole like interview process for the screening room. I found it to be... A little intimidating, right? A little intimidating. I found it to be an interesting avenue for, for how they kind of approach that in a way. Like, I'm like, okay, like, I, I, I like how this is like a job interview, basically. And yeah. I, I know for Christian at the time, when I first started out at Hofstra and with screening room, he wanted to kind of, again, incorporate it like a business. Like, you were going in for a job interview and stuff like that, or an internship interview. And I remember I was... When I first started out, like seeing the way that he interviewed a bunch of people and the way that he kind of asked the certain questions and what do you want to do, it got me prepared for that kind of stuff. So he was definitely somebody that I, it was kind of cool to kind of get that, get that kind of knowledge and get that kind of, um, I guess, repetition, I guess would be the word to kind of say for like, okay, this is how certain job business things would kind of go in a way. And he, and he ran screening room kind of like a business. I remember doing e-board meetings at the time and I was mm -hmm. kind of like the secretary. Yep. Yep. I, of remember, like, I remember e-board. Yeah, taking notes <laughs> and things like that. And yep. I'm like, like the way that they ran everything was like tight, concise, and they had all these different departments going on. And so I thought it was really interesting the way that he, that they ran that in a way. It was really cool. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hear from the horse's mouth, but yeah, he, he ran like a business. Yeah. Right. And Tommy ran like a business. 
And Mandela was just like, man, I'm just gonna have fun. But yeah. also, but he also took it very seriously. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I want to go. I want to go back to R. Are they, are they still doing screening room? I, I don't know. I, I really, I, I followed I it last so. year, and then I never, I didn't hear anything about it again. I don't, I don't think I hear it so much on Sundays anymore. I mean, it, it was definitely when I was there, and when we were running it, we were trying to keep it as float as possible. We were able to keep it going. It seems like the the, the next group was able to keep it going for a little bit, but. Right now, I'm not. I'm not really 100 percent sure. Right no, now, I'll just, yeah. I'll just give it a Google. And yeah, then, and we'll check it out. Definitely. Um. So how would you how would you structure a show for screening room? Any any was it different? You kind of just follow the same formula. Um. I definitely structured it a little bit differently. I kind of did it where we would kind of do. Well, I kind of I kind of did a mixture where it would kind of be the top news stories that were going on. We would do maybe half the block, half an hour or so, kind of being talking about the major news topics. So let's say I remember in 2019 when Avengers Endgame came out, we had like a whole thing talking about the box office for that. And then mm -hmm. we would kind of go into uh, the movie review segment and yep. then we would have the news breaks yep. in between. So I definitely kept some of the things that were going on at the time to kind of keep that format. But I try to change it up where, again, I, I kind of inspired it off of Collider Movie Talks or John Campy Show where it was very much kind of um, – like a like a sports center debate show in a way where it was kind of like first take or something where we were kind of debating having different ideas and points of view. We would try to have some interviews on from time to time, and so I definitely wanted to kind of shake it up a little bit, but keep the the, the core of what was intact in there basically. Yeah. So, so that would be it. Yeah. So we, we like we would have some awesome interviews kind of going on. At one time, I had Eric Davis on who's the managing editor over at Rotten Tomatoes and, and Fandango on. We talked about the summer movie season a little bit. I did interviews with uh, Kiki Lane from If Beale Street Could Talk, which is her first major film. So And, and other other people did interviews as well. And and everyone, we had somebody who was the, the movie person that was kind of like they would try to see a bunch of the movies or – like be like yeah I, I saw some of the movies or mm -hmm. you didn't really see some of the other ones but we would have somebody like that we would have two news anchors come on so it was a mixture of keeping that structure intact but kind of changing things up also at the same time no 100 yeah so what what drew you to movies to begin with because what, what was your major at Hofstra my major was video and television at in the beginning it was video tv and film and then I switched it to video and tv by so the, the end the rtvf yeah, RTVF. RTVF, and it's kind of more specific. Yeah. If I could, I would have done, done that. that, that kind, of like, kind of like production behind the scenes things. I was a yeah. I was a journalism major, mm -hmm. right? And I didn't know I wanted to do like TV, radio, podcasting until junior year, right? Right. And by then mm -hmm. it was like I'm not going to just change my major and stay an extra two years. You know? Right. Yeah. A degree is a degree. Exactly. You got it. You know, you can you can do the other things yeah. as you're going. You still got the piece of paper no matter. It's like what. I got I got a BA in journalism. Yeah, Bachelor of Arts. Yeah, BA in journalism, but. <laughs> I'm not a journalist. My girlfriend's a journalist, right? You know what I mean? Like, I'm a producer. I'm production. Right. I do right. nothing I went to school for. Right. So, yeah. But but what what drew you towards filmmaking? So when I was younger, I definitely would always go to the movies all the time. I mean, my dad yep. always took me to the movies. My family would go all the time. Whenever a big movie was coming out, we would go. And it was really by middle school, like seventh, eighth grade. I knew I wanted to get into filmmaking at first. I wanted to get into directing and, and being behind the camera and creating ideas. And so throughout the rest of middle school, all of high school, I had a phenomenal digital media program. Shout out to Jackson Liberty High School. And they, they had an amazing program that really set us up. And they, they still have people that are set up at Hofstra. There's like basically my high school should be – Hofstra should pay my high school for the amount of people from the academy – our digital media digital media academy that go to Hofstra. Oh, you, you could count, I think, on 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 both hands and even more the amount of people that go from my high school 
to Hofstra. It's every year. It's insane. Every year. Oh, wow. Even this year, I, I still ch- check sometimes. And there's people that sometimes they don't go for like film, TV. They'll go but for they something go, else. They go to Hofstra, but they go to Hofstra. They go to Hofstra. And I know of some people that are going for film and TV. Like yeah. they still go for that stuff. So from from then on, I know I wanted to be a part of the filmmaking process, be a part of film and TV. And then going into college, that's where I kind of started to experiment a little bit where I like film, I like TV, but I respect a lot of people in their craft of filmmaking and writing and directing that I'm I'm not the best creative person when it comes to that stuff. And I see what they do. And I'm just like, that part of it isn't for me, but I love talking about movies. I love mm-hmm. reviewing movies and I've done it all the time. And, and, and I was great at writing papers about them and, and whatnot. So I knew there's an avenue that I wanted to get into and to kind of go back to the one of the early questions about why I wanted to do Screening Room or how I found it. I was always, again, I was always looking for that kind of stuff. And then, so when I found that that's what I wanted to do, I was able to say, okay, I still like doing production stuff. I still like, especially within TV, I got within Heat Network. They were great. And, and I found a really cool avenue and I really like doing television stuff. But I also liked kind of journalism in the way. But I knew I, I like kind of like you where you, where you got a, a degree in journalism, but you liked like producing stuff. Yeah. For me, I was, I want, I really wish I got a journalism degree but I was actually happy making journalism and, and screening room and all that my hobby, but knowing that could be like a second passion in a way. Yeah. And then kind of going for the degree and producing and things like that, being like, okay, I can still take this as like my main courses and learn all that stuff, but, th- but also divide all my attention to this stuff as well. Mm-hmm. So I knew like, I have, I have, it's like a roller coaster for me with filmmaking where yeah. I always had a passion for wanting to do it, but then like life does, things change. And I knew I still wanted to do certain things, but I knew that filmmaking and making films wasn't my thing. It was other people's things, but I wanted to cover filmmaking. I wanted to shine a spotlight on filmmakers and movies and and talk to people about them and how films are being made and the ins and outs of the studios and the work of it. Like That's where I knew that I excelled in that area. It's hard. Filmmaking is really it's hard. So it's hard. Like you mentioned directing. I saw someone's like, you love film. Could you ever see himself making a movie? No. 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 <laughs> Fuck no. I can't, I can't direct a movie. Like, I... I, I, I'm getting a little better at like picturing something yeah. and having someone else make it come to life. Like, you know, for this, this shot right here, it took us a few tries, but like, you know, this was the uh, kind of idea I had in mind for these shots. Right. Yeah. I couldn't do that for a feature length movie. Exactly. Imagine that doing for like multiple scenes in a day and throughout a, like a, a, a set yeah. number of months on a crunch time too. Yeah. On it, a budget. On a budget. On a budget. Yeah. You got to keep students happy and you got to hope it doesn't flop. Exactly. Exactly. And, 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 pressure, and, and, man. exactly. And just seeing student filmmakers and the way that they worked, I was yeah. on a few shoots my freshman year at the time. And that was at, that was at the point where I'm just like, like I respect, like I can't, like this is, I would not excel at this. I knew just directing television. That was a, that was very stressful, and yeah. I learned a lot of stuff from that. So I again, I can't even imagine directing, DPing, producing. Like I like producing, but especially on a film, we have to keep a budget in line, and you have to make sure you don't go over a certain amount of days, a certain amount of time, a certain amount of hours. It's tough, man. It, it, it's really it looks easy when you see the final product, yeah. but there's a reason it takes months and years for things to be developed. It, it, it's it's incredible. It really is. Well, what do you think? The, what do you think the hardest part? of filmmaking is it can be like acting like sound lighting anything in terms of editing and just set this the track soundtrack what do you think the hardest part of filmmaking is oh i mean there's so there's so many things that are, that are tough i think definitely the the editing portion i think mm, killing put, babies yeah basically like kind of like okay you have everything but now it's about putting it all together and then deciding we got to either cut some things out 
We got to include some other things that are, are part of it. So I think that would be in the editing, but I, I think that producing also producing and I think directing are, I think, the toughest things within a, a film because, again, you're the leader, you're the conductors. And if you're not able to make it kind of harmonize, every other every other department is not going to be able to function as much, I feel like. So if, if, if the director's in the abyss and they're kind of not leading the team, it's not going to – that's the hardest position, I think, to really kind of be in, in filmmaking. Direct, yeah. Well, it's yeah. L. Alfonso and you. Well, actually, my, my, uh, my EP – my very first EP out about my first job out of college, she gave me the best lesson in terms of production. It's the director's job to say yes. Yeah. It's the producer's job to say no. Yep. And I was just like, you know what? Like running this business, I I, I see it. I'm the producer. I say no a lot. Exa yeah, exactly. And it's <laughs> like, like, no, we can't do this. We can't do that. And it's amazing. I'm watching The Offer on Paramount+. Plus. It's about the making of The Godfather. And of course, oh. if, if you know the making of The Godfather, yeah. it was one of the greatest, if not the greatest films of all time, had one of the most complicated processes of ever getting made onto the screen. And that was another thing where you had someone like Robert Evans and Francis Ford Coppola. Francis Ford Coppola wanted all these things. And in the end, he got to do a lot of it, but you had someone like Robert Evans or Ruddy or, or uh, Albert Ruddy, who was one of the producers, and they had to say no to certain things too. It's like we can't do that. We don't. We, we can't have this. We can't have that. And so, again, like you were saying, like it, it is the producer's job to say we be the realistic person, and then the director is the is the um is the creative aspect where they want yeah, everything. They want everything. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. Go. You go. Listen. Listen, Frank. You see this number? You see how many fucking zeros are on here? Exactly. We're not yeah. doing it. Exactly. It's like, no, 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 no. You see how much money this is? We yeah. don't have that money. We yeah. cannot put that money into there. No, no, no. So, yeah, it's to me, it's it, those two jobs are, are very tough. But there's also other departments within film that are tough. I mean, editing is tough on your own. I, or, I mean, coming up with costumes or or, or mm, even um, lighting. Mm -hmm. Lighting is tough. I mean, lighting, to put that lighting, all together, it's, I'm gonna it's say difficult. Lighting. Yeah. Lighting, lighting is the hardest part of production. Because sometimes it's completely unpredictable, i.e. you're outside. Yeah. Like you say a hard production, I think of Jaws. Yeah. Right? They filmed on the open water, which yeah. for lighting could be great. Exactly. There's nothing, yeah. there's no shadows. Yeah. You got sun above you. You got the light above you, which is exactly what you want. Yeah. But if it's cloudy, you're fucked. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you have you have no solution whatsoever. And then it's amazing. when you, If you're shooting outside, directors have a certain point or even producers where we only have a certain time of day. If you're not able to get a certain shot in outside in the exterior, yeah. you're screwed because yeah. I, we need this time of day to shoot to shoot certain things because if the sun's a different way or clouds are, are a certain way and, and it's going in and out, you can't shoot like that. It's 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 impossible to do that. So uh, for the lighting people, if they're doing if they that they they go outside, they're they're screwed. But then inside too, where you have so many different white balances for a camera to go into. You you have so, you have screens that you use for lighting. You have soft lights, harsh lights. It's just it's 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 hard. Like lighting is one of the most difficult difficult aspects. It's definitely it's most, tough. Definitely most difficult. But to me, the coolest part is the sound design. Mm. And like the mix and master. Yeah. And like, I, obviously I love audio. I'm a big podcaster, of course. <laughs> but like, um, what actually got me into, well, that's my love for filmmaking. I've always loved film, but in terms of filmmaking and respecting and appreciating the craft was Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. um, because yeah. the, when the extended editions came out and we had the appendices, like each movie had two extra discs of special features. Oh, okay. I've watched all of those multiple times. Okay. And they give, in-depth details on how they did things, specifically the sound design. Mm -hmm. So you know Lord of the Rings, the giant, the fell beast, the, the ringmates fly? Yeah, 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 Like the noise is a donkey. 
Oh, wow. Like, it's a donkey just edited in its few other donkeys. When they're flying the thing, I, I, I can't help but see a donkey. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's, <laughs> or, it... like, the, the shrill, the ring rates is um, one of the writers, Fran Walsh. Oh, it's, really? It's like her doing that. Ah! Like, I can't go that high anymore. But, you know, it's things like that. Or when you, like, the Battle of Helm's Deep, right? Mm-hmm. Like, all the noises, including the music that go into that, like, they when they're, even as a small thing, like, arrows going by, it's so subtle. Yeah. But when you isolate it, it's so loud. Or like when they're running, the chainmail is just clink, 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 yeah. clink. And to get that noise, they're literally just in front of a microphone, just shaking Which armor. It's incredible, yeah. It's just like... It's mind-blowing when it's you think mind-blowing. about it. It's mind-blowing. Yeah. It's like, this is the shit you have to do to make a movie. Exactly. And, it, and it, when you're doing it, you it seems like this is the craziest thing. Like, what what, what am I doing? Like, yeah. what, what's going on? But then when you see it all come together, it's like, this is the most epic thing I've ever seen in my entire life. How do yeah. you do it? So yeah. filmmaking, it, it, it's truly a marvelous... Like it truly is one of the things where at the, at one time, like you think like this is crazy, but you you see the magic you put on the screen and you're like in the end, you're like, that's why you do what you do in the end. And that's why, again, whenever I hear, hear people talk about films and even though I critique films and whatnot, in the end, you appreciate what people do because it takes, again, forever for them to make something and it takes hours and hours and days and weeks for them to do something. Just one small thing can take days to do. And so it's just you tip your cat off to every single person that that works on on those films, and that's why to me it, you you always got to recognize the below the line people because mm-hmm. the people that work on sound, on editing, or even just costume design, or just the small little things like crafting or anything like that, because they go unnoticed. But without them, the movie's not what it is. Yeah. Like you, you don't get any of that stuff. They're just either naked or 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 they're in plain clothes. Like without those people, you don't get that extra, that other half of a film that makes the magic of what it is. It's such like costume design. Like, if you're doing a period piece, how much research you probably have to do just to, oh, make, just to make sure that the costumes are accurate? Months, probably, to get it all down and, and accurate. And then to, to, to actually design it on probably yeah. paper and then see these are, like, the designs and, and the different swatches and colors that we're going to use. Finding the fabric. Yeah. Like, if you have to make a London 1700s period piece... You know, that fabric might not exist anymore. Yeah. Right? It's not it's like it's sort of cotton, it's polyester. Exactly. Right? And yeah. you gotta try and find that piece because some like a certain directors would definitely want no 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 no, this is this is trash. Give me the real stuff. Exactly. Attention to detail, like every yeah. little thing, which is what the director's supposed to do. And then to also see the the research of being like, Well, this is what they they did, but also finding things for certain characters like what is going to define a costume for a certain character like what is their color going to be what is their yeah. style going to be because that goes into to everything in a movie like i remember with once upon a time in hollywood i think oh, the costumes that phenomenal. are incredible phenomenal. When, when you when you get leonardo dicaprio in the in the leather jacket you know the kind of character that he is and then with cliff you got the you got the the open button shirt he's got the he's got the t-shirt on there he's got the the boots like he he's like that kind of like every man day kind of guy in a way. So like that's just the one that pops to mind. But those are the kind of costumes that can distinguish characters for who they are. Even Victorian era or modern day, like it, it takes a lot of work. Like and that's just one department. And and a lot of it uh is subliminal. Like a lot of it's subconscious. Yeah. Like all all those things you just said, people are gonna be like, huh? I never thought of it like that. But when they watch it, they get it. Yeah. It's just a it's just a mental mind thing. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Now if I was gonna compare myself, like as a content creator, I think I've thinking about this a lot. Like my style of content I create and who I create it for, who is it emulate? And I don't like that I'm gonna say this, but it's Kevin Smith. Yeah. Like my the kind of content I create, because Kevin Smith makes things the weirdest, most obscure, random movies. Mm-hmm. 
for no one else but him and people who like his shit. Yeah. I'm just like, <laughs> I'm not a big fan of Kevin Smith. Like, Clerks is incredible. But other yeah. than that, it's like his movies are trash. Yeah, Like, basically. Jay and Silent Bob, which is a spinoff of Clerks. But I'm just like, if I'm going to compare myself to anyone who creates content, it's kind of like Kevin Smith. Yeah. Like, the stuff I make, like, who's my target audience? Me. It's me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's me and people who know me. Exactly. And, and I'm the same way, too, where... I'm not listen. If I can get a wider audience out there that wants to come in and learn about film and filmmaking and, and, and the industry, that's great. But I want to be able to have a collaborative environment with with me, kind of in a way, like filmmakers and people that love film and movies and and love like blockbusters and indies and get excited for the Oscars and film festivals. Like those are the people that I really want to try to to connect to and get to in a way. And mm-hmm. I think that's when Kevin Smith does him stuff. Sure, he makes like some of the crappiest movies and like some films you're like, what is like that? Yoga hoses. Was what it was. Yeah. Something like that. And he's like, just, I made it for my daughter. I was yeah, like, exactly. I, think I respect it. Yeah. I think, I think he did a movie Husk. I think was that him or something. I, I think, think so. I think yeah. so. Yeah. So it's like, those are some of the craziest films, but the thing that people know him for are the podcasts when he does it, like, cause he's able to do and, and find all those nerds that just love that stuff and are able to relate to it. Like he's able to. And it's, it's amazing. Like you tip your hat off to him because he knows that he's successful in that way yeah. and he can go off and still make those movies because, again, it's like, I'm making these movies for me, but me is going to come watch these movies or see these movies no matter what. He doesn't so, care. He doesn't yeah. care either. He's like, yeah. He doesn't make money. Exactly. Fuck who cares. Exactly. I loved it. One, I remember watching him actually one time. He did a trailer reaction for the first teaser of Avengers Endgame. And I remember that got me so hyped up because he was just like, emo- he was tearing up. Like he was getting emotional in it. He was like, so like hyped up and it got me hyped. And that's why like, to me, like when he does that stuff, that's the kind of stuff where it's like, I want to get people hyped like that too. Yeah. He did a cinema sins too. So one of the star Wars movies. Okay. Which I love cinema sins, but sometimes they nitpick. <laughs> oh yeah. It's like, they, they like, try to like, rack it up. Yeah, exactly. And he's like, man, how do you all get sued? Like, all the time. Yeah. So I love, shout out to Simpsons. They're great, but how do you not get sued? Yeah, I don't know. It's unbelievable. It's amazing. Honestly, like, to me, whenever I watch content sometimes, I'm like, it's amazing how some studios don't go after some of these, like, YouTubers or people like that, where it's like, whether it's music or whether it's, like, videos that they use, it's like, wow, like, you can use that stuff and they won't catch you or things like that. Yeah. And it's like, okay, like, like, that's interesting. It's like, that, that kind of stuff to me, it's like, hopefully you never, like, you hope that a studio never finds that stuff where it's like, okay, like, you know, I don't want to be my video taken down or anything like that in a way, too. All know? right. Give me a top five films. Oh, my God. If you I, can. Uh, mine changes all the time. Mine changes I, all. I, I, I think I always change the fifth one. but And, like, maybe the order of the top four. Yeah. But I got mine. I can give you my top. I can give, my, I can give you my definitive number one. And then the other four are probably just, like, random. random. Like, Fine. it's, it's, it's in it. the top five. Oh, four. your top five right now, then. Okay. All right. So... Number one is Saving Private Ryan. It's always mm, been that. I love I love that movie. It's to death. in and out of my top five. Yeah, so number two would probably be The Godfather. Okay, in and out of my top five. Yep. Number three would be The Dark Knight. Ooh, okay. Okay. Keep right now, you. yeah. Let's see what else would be in there. Uh I think number four would be. It, this always fall like fluctuates, but. I think Argo would be in there. I'm a, Argo? I love Argo, dude. I love that movie to death. Okay. Yeah, I interesting, love- Interesting I, yeah, choice. Yeah, Argo's in my top five. I love that movie. And then number five, probably have to be Goodwill Hunting. Another great choice. I, I just- Another th- great choice. It's one of the greatest- scri- I, It's definitely one of the greatest scripts of all time. That's definitely. its top five yeah, script of all time. Big fan of Ben Affleck over there. I love- uh, Dude, I have to say, 
I'm I'm a huge Ben Affleck fan. Like, especially as a director and a filmmaker, I love what he does. And I know he's had trouble in the past, and he's made crap movies in, yeah. in, in the past. Ar- Argo was his comeback. Argo was his comeback in the town too. The town is a, an, an underrated film of his. Came out yeah. in 2010. I, yeah. I it's it, it, it's good. I enjoy it's good. it. It's like it's basically his version of Heat. Basically, I it's, it's like I, a Boston version of no, Heat. No, I I think it I think it's his version of The Potted. That too. Yeah, that, that too. That's that, that's like I was like okay like. It's not a bad movie. No, it's Don't good. Wrong. It's a it's a fine movie. Yeah, yeah. Ben Affleck did a great job. Jeremy Renner's in it. Jeremy right? Renner's in it. Yeah, he got, a, he got a supporting actor nomination. Did a for that. great job. I miss like, but The Departed's is better. Oh yeah, way like, better. It, like if you're gonna do a Boston crime movie within five years of The Departed coming out, oh yeah, yeah you're yeah. gonna get compared to The Departed. Exactly. No, of course. No, no that's Departed, dude. Yeah. It's, it's Scorsese. Great. Scorsese. I mean, right? and it's so, so funny. New Yorker making a Boston movie like that. It's great. I love it. It is pretty funny. It is pretty funny. And it's great. But yeah, I just think. To me, Affleck is somebody who writes really well, mm-hmm. and his his direction style is is amazing too. I just I, I love the guy. I, I don't know I don't know what to say. It's just him as a filmmaker. I just love everything he does, and he's gotten so much better as an actor. The Way Back, The Last Duel, so good in those movies, and I'm excited to see what he does. He's got a lot of cool stuff kind of lined up. He's doing a movie with Matt Damon right now. It's about mm-hmm. kind of Nike and them recruiting Jordan. Back in the '90s, at oh, the time, that's interesting. Yeah, so he, him, and Damon are starring in it. I think they're writing it, and I think he's, di- I think he's directing it. All right, you need Michael B. Jordan to play Michael Jordan, right? I, you have to, right? Have to. I mean, 100%. come on. I mean, he's not only a great actor; he has the same. He has to use the B for a reason. Oh, absolutely. You know what yeah, I mean? Exactly. <laughs> you got to do. You got to. You got <laughs> to use the B. Absolutely. <laughs> you got to distinguish yourself somehow in some kind of a way. He's got to play Jordan in a biopic one. Like even if it's that or in a in a biopic biopic. He's got to be the guy. It's that or Jordan's going to play himself. De-age him all the yeah, way. I mean, yeah, they could. They could, they could do it. They I could mean, really he's, do it. The, he's that much of a sociopath to play himself. True. He, he really is. I mean, but yeah. I mean, Affleck to me is the best. B. Jordan is another person that I'm really, I love him as an actor too. So Christian, answer your question, Michael B. Jordan. So the other day we were talking about um, who are the actors of our generation. Okay. And uh, Michael B. Jordan should have come up, but he didn't. He didn't? So. Uh, I mean, he's somebody that is... He's broken through, but I feel like he doesn't get the love that he deserves in a way. I feel I feel like like we mention mm. him, and okay, a little forget, a little forgettable, uh, forgettable. But when okay. he comes out with something, people know him. But I feel yeah. like he's not always in the conversation all the time. I feel like like to me, Timothy Chalamet is somebody who in today's yeah, day and age up. he yeah. comes up every single yeah. time something comes up. He's the number one person on a lot of people's minds. Like to me, like. B. Jordan, he doesn't come up all the time, but when he's up for something or he does a magazine cover or he's named the sexiest man alive or something, he's like his name. They run with the name and people know the name at the time, but it's not on on people's minds like all the time. Oh, I got you. So when he's in the mainstream, he's in the mainstream, but when yes. he's not, he's just forgotten. I feel it. like it a little bit. He, he popped on with Fruitville Station. Yeah, 100%. Phenomenal movie. Great movie. Had me in tears. My yep. man, I'll say it. Yeah, uh, uh, then he popped in his Creed. Creed, phenomenal, film. phenomenal. Yeah. Both of them are really good. Yeah, one of my just, top two of 2015 for me. Just one, nailed yeah. the performance, yep. and then disappeared. Then he came back as was it Deathstroke in Black Panther? Uh, Kill, uh, Killmonger. 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 Close yeah, enough. yeah. <laughs> so you know that's what he's most famous for. Yeah, and that's what everyone knows him for. Yeah, and then since then he's kind of just he's done a few films he here and there. Yeah, he's done. He, I know he did la- the last two. He's done like Without Remorse, which was an Amazon film that was transferred to Amazon because of the pandemic. He mm-hmm. did it. It was with um, it's based off of the Tom Clancy novels. It was kind of a, like in the the Jack Ryan universe in a way. So he did that. He was in last year uh, a, a Journal for Jordan, which is based off of her true story. So and and he's become a producer too. And I think that's one of the great things about Michael B. Jordan also is that he's becoming a very versatile just person. Where he's about to he's about to do his directorial debut with Creed three, 
which oh, I'm very excited great. about. That's going to be great. Even without Sylvester Stallone, I think he's taking the franchise where you're just excited for his character now you don't, and what you don't, he does. You don't need Rocky. Exactly. You need, you him, the, you need him in the first one. Exactly. Definitely. Yeah. And then you had him in the second one because yeah. it's a tie in the Drago. Exactly. Which, yeah. again, great. Yeah, it was But awesome. now, you know, he's established. Exactly. He can yeah. go do his own thing. Yeah, 100%. And He's a strong enough character. Yeah. He's a strong enough direct- actor. Yeah. Now I guess he's a strong enough director. Exactly. And I think, you know, he's he's worked behind people like Denzel Washington for Journal for Jordan. He's worked behind people like that. Coogler for for his first three movies. He's worked with Black Panther, Creed, and Fruitvalization. That's a Coogler B. Jordan trilogy right there. So he's worked with some of the great directors of our time right now that you you trust him with that franchise, even just knowing it because he's in it. He He's worked with people that have been a part of it too. So... I love Michael B. Jordan. I think he should. He is one of the best actors today. I love that you guys had like a whole conversation of like who the like our generational actors are. <laughs> we were talking we, we, Denzel, Samuel. Yeah, because like, our generation were thinking like when we were kids. So yeah. I'm 27. Nash 25. Christian's also 27. Yeah. So those are the kind of age we were thinking of. But mm-hmm. Michael B. Jordan completely slipped my mind. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. He's just somebody that 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 you when when you think of it, it's like Michael B. Jordan. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's yep. the guy. Like yeah, he should be more prominent. But I mean, when we got Leo in there, all, all those guys he's like he's still a baby. He's he is. Young. A little, he is. He's very young. He is. He is. What is he like? What? Like for, oh wait, B Jordan is B. Jordan. Or, B. Oh Jordan. Yeah, I thought you were saying Leo. No, Leo. Leo. I was gonna be 40s. like yeah. I was no. like yeah. Leo's a baby. He might look like a baby, but he's not a baby in no, age. Leo, Leo is a full grown ass. He's man. a full man. Michael B Jordan is still young. I he is. At, speaking of Leo, let me give you my top five. Okay. So my top five number one is Titanic. Okay. Always and forever. All right. Like as a kid, I watched that movie all the time. Okay. Mainly the second half, like I watched the boat sink. Yeah. That's uh, great. Number two, Lord of the Rings. They're all one movie. Okay. They all filmed it once. They released it, but all 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 three movies are filmed over an eighteen month shoot. Yeah, counts. Okay. No, um, I respect it. Number three is The Godfather. Okay. I, no, I take that back. Number three is A Clockwork Orange. Okay. Because it's one of the only movies that I watched, and as soon as it ended, I wanted to watch it immediately over again. Yeah. But it was three in the morning, so I watched it the next morning. <laughs> so I went to bed, watched it like one o'clock in the afternoon the next okay. day. Number four is The Godfather. I think it's the best movie ever made. Yeah, okay. So the top three is my favorites, and the top four, number four is like, okay, that's the best movie. Five usually fluctuates. I think for right now, I'm going to go Saving Private Ryan. Okay. Because it, oh, yeah. it is the best war movie yeah. ever made, hands down, that opening sh- a shot with D-Day. Ah, uh, it's remarkable. It's terrifying. Yeah, yeah. It's absolutely terrifying. I remember my dad was telling me the story of, I think he was at a theater when it happened, but I think he also heard a bunch of stories also where- People that were in there that watched just that twenty-seven minute segment or however long it is that D-Day segment, they left the theater because because of the surround sound and it was too real. It, it was too real, and, yeah. and I think people that maybe were war veterans at the time that watched yep. it got PTSD. So it, it that's just the kind of filmmaker Spielberg is. He's my favorite director of all time. So Me it's too. just whenever I watch that, like there are certain movies like Godfather, like Saving Private Ryan, or any of our films that are our favorites of all time, where if it's on TV. You just gotta watch it. Like you, you could be wanting to watch something else. Yeah. But when it's on, you just put the remote down and you just watch it. Yeah. It's just like you're just into it. You so, know what happens, but it's so good. Goodwill Hunting's one of those movies. Yes. Uh, and The Mummy. The Mummy Ooh, is one of those movies. That's a good one. So it with the Brendan Fraser Mummy. So it's funny. Uh, growing up, like it seemed like me and my brother just kind of mentioned this when we lost one day. Is like we we'll go we go to my grandparents' house and uh the Mummy would always be on TV. Always. Oh, really? Only wow. like when we were at the, her house, it was always on TV. Okay. And one day we was just like, "Hey, Will, you know it's like that every time we're here, the mummies on. You know what? <laughs> you know what? I was just thinking the same thing. And what's on? We always watch it. 
Yeah. It's a great popcorn flick. It is. It's a fun film. Like, and, and Brandon Fraser was about to have a great comeback. I cannot wait. I, for I, I'm so excited. I cannot wait for the Fraser comeback. It's going to be amazing. The internet loves him. Oh, the internet. It's time, baby. It's, it's time. It's time. We we had the reconnaissance. We had the 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 Liam Neeson sons years ago. We we're having a little bit of a Nicolas Cage sons. It's yeah, we the, are, baby. It's time for the Brandon. We Fraser have that Keanu. We the we Keanu are. Sons. Yes, with John Wake and all those films. Yep. Yes, so it's time for Brandon Fraser to come back into the fold now. I cannot wait. So that being said, what do you what do you think of the current state of Hollywood? I am somebody who I understand people that aren't big fans of the studio system in today's day and age. I can understand mm. people's frustrations, but I can't sit up here and say like, oh, like big studio movies are ruining Hollywood and and this and that because I'm somebody who likes superhero movies. I like comic book films that come out. I like some of the big films that are anticipated. I look forward to blockbuster season and all that fun stuff. And and I enjoy a lot, a majority of the films that come out. I'm somebody who's known to being Mr. Positive a lot, but sometimes I try, I'll try to review films negatively, but I am somebody who can understand when studio films come out and it's taking over things. But at the same time, when people are clamoring for new stuff, you got to go out and see the new stuff. You got to find it. You got to find it. You got to find exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and you got to be able to go out and see it and 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 watch it and enjoy it. Like, there are original movies out there. Like, for a perfect example, the one that everyone's talking about now that gives, I think, theaters hope, studios hope, and people that love indie films hope, everything, everywhere, all at once. That's the film that is yeah. the, the talk of the town in terms of indie films. It's made, I believe, over $48, $50 million over the course of, like, a month, month and a half. It's still in the top five this weekend. It's probably going to stay in the top five, only dropping like six percent. And it it it's it was an A twenty four film made with little money, and it's one of the most creative films. I enjoyed Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, but Everything Everywhere All at Once is the better multiversal film. Mm. The way that they're able to incorporate the multiverse and the concept of it, making it a fun family film, enjoyable. It's action packed. It's funny. It's quirky as hell. I mean, there's some goofy stuff in here that. You don't think it'll work, but the Daniels, who are the directors of this, are able to make it work. And it's just, it's wildly entertaining. The way that they were able to do this on, like, a very low budget is mesmerizing. If you read some of the stories of, they only had, like, five people on visual effects, and when you look at the visual effects on here, you would think it's maybe a $50, $40 million budget. Not even close to yeah, that. Pennies. It's pennies on the dollar. And so, that is one of the films that gives people hope for what you can see in theaters. And But... Again, for me, it's I want to see original films. When original films come out, I am all for seeing them. But I'm not going to sit up here and say, uh, you know, studio films are the death of cinema or the, the death of, of movies because for a majority of them, a lot of them are good. There are some that are awful and some that are bad, and you don't know why studios make them. They just make them for money. Yep. Like, for example, Morbius. <laughs> awful movie. I've heard. Awful I've heard. movie. Yeah. You don't understand why they made it. Well, it's understandable because the last two Venom movies made a, a lot of money and they yep. wanted to make this one, but still, awful movie. You don't know why they made it. But then you look at the MCU. And yes, yeah, some of the films maybe don't work better than others, but there are some great films like Captain America the Winter Soldier, the Avengers movies for the most part, Thor Ragnarok. We're about to get Thor Love and Thunder, Guardians. I just think that the state of Hollywood today is in, in a way of where it's dominated by comic book movies, but. It's studios are in demand for it right now because that's the thing that's making the most money right now, exactly. and they need to stay afloat right now. And exactly, and I think that for, especially because of the pandemic, as long as they are the lifeblood of this, you're gonna get all these other films to come out. Like to me, one that I'm very much looking forward to that's an original film 
Don't Worry Darling from, or I think it's Don't Worry Me Darling or Don't Worry Darling from Olivia Wilde. That's a completely new original film that I'm hoping when it comes out in September, people go see because you don't get director-driven films like that a whole lot. You maybe get a Nolan film every once in a while that gets the kind of money that he's able to get or a Tarantino movie. But if you don't go see those films like you do comic book movies or like you do these big budget films, studios are going to be like, all right, we're not going to put all this money into it because that's not where the money's going. And they're focused on streaming nowadays too. And that's their their lifeline as well. So it, it's very much at an intercepting point where the streaming and theaters are going to try to or have to kind of coexist today. And studios are need to try to figure out a way to get more original films in there. But they're not going to drive away from the thing that's making them the most money right now. Yeah, definitely. No, I'm, I'm not, not going to hate on comic book movies. I don't see most of them. Uh, mm-hmm. I love Spider-Man. I'll never miss a Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. No yeah. Way Home was just... So good. It was yeah. the best Spider-Man movie. Yeah. Since yeah. Spider-Man 2. Yeah. And I love Spider-Man 2. Spider-Man 2 is but great. But yeah. Spider-Man 2 still is my favorite just because I'm that kind of old guy with the stickler. Mine oh, was yeah. better. I'm, <laughs> I am that guy. But if someone told me that No Way Home was better, I'm not going to be like, fuck you, you're wrong. I'm going right. to be like... Yeah. Like, you're, yeah. 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 <laughs> it's a great movie. It is. Yeah. I mean, but like, like uh, mo- I'm not going to see multiverse. Just, just don't care. Oh, yeah. But... Like you said, they make the most monies and this monies and the studio is clinging on to what's going to keep them alive. Yeah. So the theaters. Yeah. Now they could do a better chance of marketing these movies. Like the last duel, yeah. I believe was yes. a giant flop, a huge flop, which yeah. was relatively a new story. Yeah. In and in a, a period piece, huge budget. Yeah. But from big stars. I, but from what I've heard from people, this wasn't marketed or sold to people. But yeah. To your point, the people who are complaining about movies not being made are the ones who aren't going to see these movies once they are actually made. Yeah. Like, there's no actual problem with Hollywood. Yeah. Like, they're making... They're, the movies are being made. It's all the original. Yeah. You know, my, my friend loved... The, my two friends loved The Northman. Yeah. They, Say, that's another one. They they praised it as, like, one of the best movies I've ever seen. I saw it. I was just like, eh. Yeah. And it's, and it's, it's people preferences, too. Like, people are going to like it. People are not going to like it. But as long as you give it a try or, like... If you want to go see it, like there are movies out there to go to go do it with, and like the unbearable weight of massive talent is another one. Yeah, where you know it's it's a fun, it's not a great movie, but it's a fun, entertaining film with Nicolas Cage and Pedro Pascal. Nicolas Cage playing Nicolas Cage. Exactly. I, I want to go see that. It's so it's so funny. It's so good. Like it, it's got a really good story to it. But yeah, it's just these films are being made. It's just that not a lot of people are seeing them, and that's why these things are going to streaming more so than they're going to to theaters because they can profit off of subscribers and eyeballs more on that. And they can, they, they say, well, we don't have to recruit the money off of that. As long as we get subscribers and we're able to get money off of that, we'll be fine. I would much, I would much rather, I love seeing a Northman in theaters. Yeah. First of all, I don't want this knock to Northman. Northman was a great movie, but I had very high expectations. My thought was, oh, it's just like gladiator with Vikings. Yeah. Right. it, It wasn't anything super original. However, the main thing that impressed me which I never see in movies or TV. It was very early on. You saw the film, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. very early on, like when the when the king comes back, right? And they're in mm-hmm. that in the hall, and they drink the blood or whatever. Yeah, like the lighting, mm-hmm. where like the the room actually looked like it was shot. Yeah, lit by firelight. Yeah, yep. That was something that was super impressive to me because you never see that. You know, like the sound editing and like the the the, the, the way the film was colored. Yeah, like I thought was it was a visual, brilliant, gorgeous masterpiece. Yeah. 
Like the action scenes, phenomenal. Choreography, mm-hmm. phenomenal. Acting, great. Yeah. Is this the story and the writing where it's very, eh, I've seen it before. Yeah, exactly. But, very, very generic. But the movie, overall, the movie was great. Yeah. I hope it did well because those kind of movies in Hollywood are being made. Yeah, they are. I yeah. think the disconnect in Hollywood is the Academy. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like Hollywood, oh, it's, Holly, Hollywood itself. Yeah. The movie's being made. There's something wrong with them. Yeah, some of them aren't original. That's just Hollywood. There's only so many movies you can make. Yeah. Like you yeah. can you can you can bitch and moan about like the, the Matrix Four and how yeah. that shouldn't have been made. I enjoyed the Matrix Four. Yeah, it was enjoyable. But um, you can you can like and remaking movies like yeah, that's that's true. That's a problem. Yeah. But the big disconnects between audiences in Hollywood is the Academy. Yeah, I mean, I could go. We could take a whole other hour, Will, if you wanted to talk about the Academy. I mean, it's we just... got time, man. If you got somewhere to be. Oh uh, no, I mean, listen, I mean, it's just uh the. the 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 thing with the whole thing with the I don't even know where to start with the Academy. I mean, I love the Oscars again. To me, Super Bowl. It's my Super Bowl. I cover it wire to wire. It it, it, it was for me too. This is the first year I didn't watch it live, and I kind of regret it. Oh yeah, I mean, you, you, <laughs> get, the, you get the big moment. Where I gotta it's see like, that slap, man. Yeah, you, the the slap heard around the world. I mean, let me tell you, I was live. I saw that live when that happened. I mean, we I was with a group of friends who that same group of friends I hadn't watched the Oscars with since. The whole debacle before the slap, where this was the top of the cake with the envelope mistake. Where it was oh my god, with Steve Harvey? Yes. No, 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 no. With um, with uh, Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway when they did with La La Land and, and uh, oh, Moonlight. that's right. No, what did Steve Harvey do? Because that was that, I think that was the the uh, beauty pageant. I think that might, might have been no, Miss America. That was Miss America. Oh, you're Miss right. America. That was, America, yeah. Yeah. That was they, before. They okay. They screwed up with La La Lands. Yeah, they screwed up with La La Land because they because they got the envelope and it was basically. It said Emma Stone. They had the wrong envelope, basically. And yeah. so they thought, oh, it's La La Land, even though it said Emma Stone, La La Land, it was for Best Actress. And then they got on stage, yada, yada, yada. People knew it was a mistake. Everyone was going crazy. And so that was the biggest debacle in Oscar history before Will Smith decided to go on stage and slap the shit out of Chris Rock, basically. Yeah. I don't know if I can curse on him. No, you now, can. But... You can. Okay. Absolutely. So yeah, he, he slapped the shit out of him. And that is will forever be the craziest moment in Oscar history. I don't know. I mean, listen, we could something could happen in the next five years where people are being chased out of the Academy Theater, the Dolby Theater, and something crazy happens. But that will take the cake for one of the craziest live television moments ever. And and then everything that went on this year with the Academy, with the now, now there's a whole thing with um the best the the whole thing with, with with like best moment where they had like talking about like Zack Snyder's Justice League. Yeah, and, it's just like it's just tongue in cheek. Oh, it's like yeah. it's if it, it feels as yeah. as a as a mm-hmm. fan of film mm-hmm. and the Academy, mm-hmm. it feels like they're just giving it to us to shut us up. Yeah, but also the funny thing about that is now there's a, a an article that came out where apparently there were bots that helped push those films to be awarded, apparently. that There's like a whole article about that now. Well, the whole thing about the Oscars, like, don't get me wrong. The movies that are nominated for the Oscars typically are, especially Best Picture, are typically phenomenal movies. Yeah. They're outstanding yes. masterpieces of arts, yeah. which is my defense for what the Oscars should be. Yeah. However... They're also movies nobody sees. Yeah, that's that's the problem, and and I think that's why when I know the big push this year for was something like Spider Man No Way Home, I I just think the Academy needs to be able to look at these films because I think when they look at horror films, even though we get something like a Get Out that gets nominated because it was a, a phenomenon and, and and it was it dealt with a lot of things and it was a really cool movie and it was a breakthrough for Jordan Peele, you get things like that. You get things like Black Panther. Black Panther. I almost said the sequel title, but it's just Black Panther when it was nominated in 2018. You get things like Joker. 
it's things that are very art house or things that are culturally phenomenon. Joker was very art house. A very art house. So it, art house. Yes. Yeah. It, it ate up. Yeah. Ate it up. I mean, it was great. Yeah. No, no doubt. Like it deserved every nomination that it got. It was phenomenal. It was one of my favorite films of 2019 when it came out. But you like, I feel like genre films like sci-fi sometimes or fantasy if they're if they're not these epics like dune was able to get it or lord of the rings but mm -hmm. it's not consistent where some of the best films out there are comic book movies are horror films yeah are genre films that you that should get nominated and should be recognized but i just think the academy sometimes especially the older academy looks at it as more taboo like it's like no 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 like that can't like no 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 like that that's not what we're looking for yeah with the academy like it doesn't check our box for what well, we're looking the, the, for like things the dark like that. knight yeah was was Huge nominated example. You know, like you said, Lord of the Rings did a clean sweep. Yeah. Went 12 yeah. for 12, Return of the King yeah. did. Dark Knight wasn't nominated, though. Dark, no, Heath Ledger was, though. Yeah, Heath Ledger was, yeah, right, but, but the like, film but wasn't. Those, those kind of movies, like, if you even go back 15 years ago, like, those big blockbuster movies yeah. that people loved and saw were nominated. Yeah. It's, I feel like it's in the past few years yeah. where all movies that are nominated are just so, one, they're sad. Yeah. They're hard, like, they're hard to watch because it's so sad. Yeah. Like, like uh, last year, The Father, Anthony Hopkins. Oh, yeah. Br brutal. It's brutal movie. Brutal. It's, brutal. It's, it's gorgeous. Yeah. It's art. Yeah. Anthony Hopkins is brought me to tears. Like, yeah. I'm a man. I'll admit it. Yeah. But it's just so sad. No, it is. Yeah. In the middle of COVID, you're like. You don't need those films. Yeah. It's just like, guys, like yeah. Bill Maher said it best. Like, can we just take the depressingness out of the Oscars? Like, life is yeah. depressing enough. Yeah. I know, I know life imitates art, but yeah. no, I don't. Come like, on. Yeah. No. Or like Nomadland, where that was. I love Chloe Zhao. F amazing director. Yeah. But. Nomadland was not depressing like The Father or like Marini's Black Bottom, but still was very slow paced, dealt with very sad material about you know nomads and the way they live and yeah and, and seeing their way of life and and all that kind of stuff and and the reasoning for why they kind of live their lives because of economic downturns and and things like that sometimes. So again, like you get those kind of movies, great movies, but you want a little bit more upbeat sometimes with with your Oscars and and I think this year especially. Another big disconnect was them shortening the or, or taking out the live aspect, a lot of the below the lines, kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier about how important those blind, below the line categories are, because now you're not even trying to get more people, I think, general audiences in. You're alienating the audience that already, already watched have. the Oscars. Yeah. That, and to me, that's the thing where you want to get people that want to watch the Oscars for the Oscars. To me, I understand you want to make it a big show. And that's another big thing, too. Where I think everything's a big show. And I understand people hate the runtime. But the runtime's the runtime. I have no problem with the runtime. Me neither. Like, no problem. You have all those awards. You need to get through them no matter what because you, the, each person deserves to be recognized. And I think whoever's a film lover will watch it. Now, I think we live in a day and age today where everything is about the ratings nowadays, and there's a reason, and that's the reason why they're trying all this different stuff. But the, the reason that the ratings are well, down— that's, that's the thing. If they cared about ratings— Sorry yeah. to cut you off. But if they cared, no, about, no. If they cared about ratings, they would have nominated Spider-Man, Yeah, and it would have won. Yeah. But they don't care about they don't, ratings. No, no. They, they, well, they care about ratings, but right. they want people to like what they give them. Exactly. They want to have their cake and eat it too. Yeah. Like, listen, I have no problem with those technical awards because we're, yeah. I, I, I like, we like that stuff. Yeah. We're nerds. Yeah, exactly. And the point of the Oscars is your peers recognizing each other in the industry. Yeah. Yep. Now, if you want to do that, you got to understand you might not have ratings. If that's your, that's your goal, mm -hmm. don't televise it. Yeah. The Golden Globes weren't televised this year. Thank yeah. God. Yeah. Because who cares? <laughs> yeah. And like, that's a whole other disaster in and of itself, too. But yeah. It's... But you, like, you, you gotta you gotta pick one. Yeah. If you want ratings, 
you gotta you gotta give it to what like Rotten Tomatoes. Spider Man was probably like like a ninety. It was like ninety six. Ninety six between yeah. between the people. And the critics? Yeah, the, the critics was 96%. I think the audience might have been a little higher. Give or take. But, sure. but both, still, both, still, both they were in very the high. 90s, very which, high. which is very rare. Yeah, yeah And you high. don't nominate it for anything? Except for VFX, and it didn't even win that category. Right, but it's just like, well, and now you're, you're confused why you don't have ratings. Yeah. And I think, oh, Will Smith thing was staged. I was like, okay, it was staged. That's what the Academy wanted. Who won Best Picture? It was, it was, uh, oh my God, I can't believe I'm forgetting this on the Oscar. Cause you, cause it, you know, you oh remember my just, God. That's the only thing oh you remember. Man. Yeah. 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 No, it is true. It was Coda. 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 And, sure. and that was a, that was a, a great film as well. Uh, yeah. I feel so bad about that now. I knew that was, I said it on my podcast all the time. We're going to forget about best picture and I forgot about best picture, but yeah, no, like you have those films and, and you want those films to be recognized and seen. And I'm happy that the Academy will at least that integrity is still there where at least when they're nominating, it's not because of ratings. Like it's like, we're, we're going to do this because we want the ratings. Like, I don't want that. Like I want it to be like, you nominate the best films out there. And to me, it should be the best films out there because, and I remember when favorite film was coming out, they were proposing all that kind of stuff with like best popular film, all that to me, that was bullshit because, yeah, 100%. because to me, and, and I said it at the screen room at the time, if you want this to be nominated, nominate it, for one of your one of your top ten best pictures yep. or, or one of the best picture awards. Yep. If it's the one of the best films of the year, don't put it in another category. Put it in that category if it's that good. So to me, it's if it's if it's one of the best films and you think it's the best film of the year and they're campaigning enough where it's, you're recognizing it, nominate it, nominate it, and then if it wins, it wins. And, and but I just think that the way that they're going about it, where it's about cutting the runtime, putting in all these different elements to it. It doesn't need to happen. Cutting out certain elements that should be an integral to the, the ceremony, they just did not run it the best way this year. I th just think they need a, a clean slate. They need to bring in new producers, people that know the Academy Awards, and 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 run a tighter ship. I think. I just think the last two years have been not a good look for for the Oscars. I mean, between the pandemic, the way that show is run, and how they the producers muffled that whole thing with with Best Actor, putting that at the end. Yeah, that was also weird yeah. last year. And shows evidence of that the, the directors and the showrunners know, don't know the winners because if they knew the winners, they wouldn't have put Best Actor to, for Chadwick Boseman because that the whole thing was that the the storyline that they wanted to create was Chadwick Boseman, he got an Oscar, a, a, a posthumous Oscar nomination for his role. It was really his last big film that he and was out And they gave it a walk in Phoenix. No, it was, it was for... Uh, <laughs> It was for Joker. Anthony Hopkins. Oh, Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, and he wasn't even there. He wasn't even there because of COVID and things like that because he was still in Britain. He's like 80 years old. So it makes yeah. sense why he's not there. Of course. But it's, and then it's like, oh, show's over. It's basically show's over. <laughs> and, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Joaquin Phoenix delivered the awards. Like, thanks, guys. That's it. And they put it on Questlove, who I, I talked to this with Jason Abdow, and he was on the screening room, and I have him on. He's one of my guests that I have on sometimes for the podcast. On my podcast, we talk awards a lot. We I was watching with him, and we were like, Questlove should have won Best Documentary because his film Summer of Soul was up for, for a nomination, and he eventually won, and we are hoping to be this big redemption for him. Poor Questlove. He's got to close out the Oscars at the very end of 2020 because he was DJing, being like, so long, everybody, after the whole awkward yep, moment. I remember. And then his category was a category when the slap happened. So he oh, gets man. like he gets up Twice. there. Everyone's still ringing about things. He's got to like plow through it. He was pissed off about it like, He's somebody who should be, get like five Oscars just for putting up with the shit that the Academy's put him through in the last like two years. Well, we know how they choose the winners, right? It's um, it's a uh, well, I know some of it's like preferential ballot. No, I know they they lobby, the studios lobby. Oh yeah, yeah. it's it, it's um, it's awards campaigns. Yeah, it's it's campaigning through and through. Yeah, yeah it's crazy. Like you know how much money Netflix gives to the Academy? Hundreds, to hundreds of millions. Beg of to be nominated because it gives them legitimacy. Yeah, 
Same with HBO, Warner Brothers. Like, yeah. don't get me wrong. I get it. It's yeah. a business. But as a consumer, I got to go, oh, these awards are all bullshit. Yeah, because, it, I mean, a lot of it is campaigning, and a lot of the studios put out as much money as they can. And for Netflix, their problem is that they put out, like, three or four movies, whereas other studios only put out, like, one or two movies because you got to focus on these movies. And, yeah. and even though we talk about all these films that should be nominated, should not be nominated, there's a lot of movies out there. And people that are in the Academy are people that make films. And, like, they're, they're working and they're doing all this stuff. And, sure, they need to watch all these movies at the same time, but there's that's the reason also for why they campaign, too, is because... They campaigned to be like, look at these movies. These are the movies we want you to look at for awards consideration. The, that's why it's always for your consideration. Like, consider us for this. Consider us for that. And people will be like, okay, I'll, I'll check this movie out when I have some time. And you watch it. You're like, oh, wow, I like it for this, this, and this. And for Netflix, they put out three or four movies. And it's like, well, I like this movie. But, oh, yeah, they had that movie too. And it's just – it jumbles it up, which is why something like Apple TV Plus, they only put out Coda. And so mm. Coda was the only film, and mm-hmm. they knew they had something there. So that's why they poured in the kind of money that they poured in for that one. Whereas for Netflix, they poured in millions and millions of dollars, and now they will not. They they've always wanted to be the one, the streamer, the first streamer to get the best picture award. Now they won't have that because Apple's the one Apple that claimed that. And yeah. Apple's only been in the business this side of the business like for about year. for like two or three years yeah. at this point. Yeah. So I mean, Netflix has been trying and trying and trying, and they can still do it, and I think they still will, but. It's 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 no longer the 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 golden pinnacle of we're the first. Now it's gonna be you're the second or the third mm-hmm. or, or if streamers continue to you're win the it. First or of all the losers. Exactly. As as, <laughs> as 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 Ron Burgundy would say, if you ain't first, you're last. Yeah, so yeah. Netflix is Ricky last Bobby, right now. Ricky, Ricky Bobby. Bobby. What I say, Ron but Burgundy. Yeah, let's say Will Ferrell. It's yeah. fine. Yeah, Will Ferrell. Same one. Different characters. Same director, but different yeah. different movies entirely. All right, Sam. Well, we've been going for a little over an hour. Wow. Can you believe that? Went by fast, yeah, right? Yeah, went by too fast, man. Yeah, dude, that's, yeah. How, that's how it works when I'm talking to Tarashek Podcast. But the last question always goes to the guest. Anything you've ever wanted to ask me, the time is now. Oh, man. Oh. If you don't got anything, you can plead the fifth. Uh, I, always, I, I throw that on. I throw that on people's surprise okay. at the end. I mean, I, I, I plead the fifth on that one, plead man. the fifth? Yeah, actually, let, let me think. Let me think about this, actually. Okay. If you, if you were to do a press junket, like go in to do an interview mm-hmm. for a movie, and you were invited to a movie, which, what movie would you want to say? Any movie out there. It could be old, new, something that's upcoming, something that's not out yet. What, what would be one where you want to like, you want to go there to like see the movie, interview the cast and, and crew there? Knowing what I know now or going in blind? Um, Knowing what you know now. Knowing what I know. Okay, ooh. I think I would do Return of the King. Okay. I think I would. All right. Because like, because I know everything. Okay. Right. And I would just, I would want to talk to them as not equals but like speak their lingo okay like um yeah i talked to peter jackson yeah or talk to the writers like specifically for the return of the king be like well how would you decide or maybe like two two towers like how how would you decide to cut like a third of the book okay and put it in return of the king okay because uh the the two towers ends when frodo gets stabbed by shelob and carried off to kirith Okay. So and in the book, in the movie, it ends when they're leaving Osgiliath, which in the book they never actually go to. Okay. So I'd be like, from a creative process, like how do you make those decisions? How do you cut that? Like how do you pretty much make a book that's the second highest selling book in the 20th century behind the Bible? Yeah. Right? <laughs> and decide where and when to cut. Right. Yeah. Which is kind of crazy to me to think like even at like the like almost four hours of the extended edition of those films go for – it's still, I think, like not even like a quarter of the book or like a good chunk of it. Like there's still a lot of stuff in the books because I never read them. But 
No, like you read them. Like, is there still a lot of stuff that even oh, yeah. extended editions like they don't oh, even? Yeah. It feels like they go through everything, but well, they give they, they give homages though, right? Because like right. um, the a, a big thing in Fellowship, because in the Fellowship it takes forever for them to get out of the Shire. So when Fro- when Bilbo leaves the party to when they arrive in Bree in the book, it's like thirteen years. Okay. Because when Bilbo leaves, it's like eleven years later. Okay. You know, Frodo sells bag ends, mm-hmm. and then uh, Merry, Pippin, and Sam like they go do other adventures. They get stuck in the old forest. They get stuck in the Barrow Downs. They get saved by Tom Bombadil. It's okay. like for pacing of a movie where the focus is the ring and getting it to Mordor. Uh-huh. It's just fluff. Okay. So, but they took some lines from Tom Bombadil, which is a fan favorite, mm-hmm. and they gave him the tree beard in, in the extended editions. Oh, okay. So you know in the extended edition of Two Towers where many people get stuck in a tree? Yeah. That happened in the first book. Okay. And okay. The, the lines Treebeard used to free them is the lines from Tom Bombadil. Okay. So there's, wow. there's little things like that and I'm actually listening to the listening to the books. I've read the books once or twice, mm-hmm. but uh, I found an audiobook version which is just phenomenal. So I listen to it here and there, and um, it's just a new, a whole new experience. Mm-hmm. Um, because some of it's very accurate, like um, when Bilbo and Bilbo and Gandalf and Frodo are talking about like the history of the Ring, like in that movie scenes, like you know, four minutes, right? Yeah. And in the book, it's just like forty pages. Wow. <laughs> Not literally, but it's like it's like forty. Right. It's like forty minutes. The chapter is forty minutes. Right. Okay. So That's it's just it's stuff like that. So yeah, I would definitely want to go and interview the cast, the crew, the writers, everybody. Okay. That's that's what I would do. Red carpet for the Return of the King. Okay, I'm gonna turn around for you for a second. Ask you a question about something real quick. Are you excited about the TV show coming in September? I'm scared. Scared? Okay. I'm cautiously optimistic. Okay. Uh, I think it's gonna be great. Um, it's oh. the highest. Uh, budget of any like thing on TV ever. First, first season is almost like half a billion dollars. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna watch it. Okay. I think if it was on HBO Max, it would probably be do better. Yeah. I figure that that's on Amazon. Like I have Amazon Prime, but right. I don't stream anything off Amazon. Yeah. So I always forget it's an option. Yeah. So it doesn't I'm, have a lot of like familiar stuff on. I'm there. gonna watch it. It's probably gonna be good. Yeah. But I don't think it's gonna last six seasons like they wanted to. Okay. All right. We'll see. I mean, listen. I'm, 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 I'm excited for it. I'm, I've been hearing about this show forever. I mean, it's gone through casting changes and productions, and I'm just, I'm ready for it. I'm excited for it. So. I am too. I'm excited. I mean, I'm definitely, I'll definitely want, on the, want you on the podcast on my podcast to talk about it. No, when, for sure. When, when it comes for out, sure. I mean, you yeah. got Lord of the Rings stuff down, so for yeah, sure. It comes, coming in September. Yeah, I'm, yeah. The, I'm a Lord of the Rings yeah, nerd. During, during, during the pandemic, there's this YouTube channel called Men of the West, where it's just this kid is, this kid's probably 24 years old. I had no idea he's younger than me, but this kid just, uh. Do's history and lore of Lord of the Rings. I watched every single video on his channel. Oh wow! Okay. Every single one. Okay. So I got that shit down. Okay. I can down tell because they're they're covering the first and first and second ages. Yeah. So like Galadriel and Elrond are in it, but uh, it's like they're gonna cover from like the fall of Gaunt, not the fall of Numenor. Okay. Which is gonna be super exciting. So it's that 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 whole time period is just, there's so much happens. Yeah. And it's just so many like kind of um if they tell the story of Baron and Luthien. Which is very similar to Aragorn and Arwen. Okay. So yeah, once once that comes out, and we watch it. I'll hop hop on your show. We can Definitely. Talk. We'll talk for a long time. Definitely. You can give me the whole deep dive because I'm gonna be asking a bunch of questions. Again, I know like the Lord of the Rings movies and like yeah. that stuff, but. Not to the extent of like the books and things like that. Like definitely, like you have the expertise down well, on that. Also one for during sure. the pandemic, so like uh, Tolkien had the history of Middle Earth. Yeah, it's like a fourteen book Size. anthology. Jeez. It's fourteen individual books that have been released over the past fifteen That's years. Incredible. So I bought the first twelve in like a giant case. Okay. And I read like the first three. Okay. So and it's it's like the Silmarillion but harder. <laughs> it's yeah. so hard to read. It's so confusing. Yeah. But 
I'm pretty good at it. Okay. So I'm excited for that, All Sam. Right. But yeah. Sam, that'll wrap it up. Um, Anything you want to plug, your podcast, where people can find you? My friend, the floor uh, is yours. Yeah, no, you can find me on the Sam Bissell podcast. I usually post on Facebook and Twitter. I also post on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions yes. as well, which again, I got to thank you, Will, for that, for giving me that platform to speak on as well. So th- thank you so much for that. So you can find me there. You can, you can find me on uh, Twitter and on Facebook and also at on YouTube at the Sam Bissell podcast. And if you want to find me on Twitter, which I post a bunch of my episodes or I just talk about uh, movies and movie news that's out there. I'm at at Bissell Samuel. So it's B-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-A-M-U-E-L. And I'm also on Facebook at Sam Bissell. And my YouTube page is at the Sam Bissell podcast. And I usually post three times a week usually on on my podcast usually it'll be kind of like a generic movie movie news show where we talk about all the news that's going on in the world of hollywood some tv stuff where there's trailers or posters or if if somebody's talking about certain things or first looks at things i'll do reviews on big films that are out as well or or films in general so definitely be on the lookout for that so yeah that's uh a lot of exciting stuff coming down the pipeline i got a summer movie season preview that's about to come out in a couple weeks i'm trying to finalize some, some things down for that for an interview so a lot, a lot of exciting stuff coming, so it, it's great. It, it's a great time right now. Movies are back. Summer movie season's back. We're kind of floating out of this pandemic era now, thank God. And so movies are coming back to theaters now and in and, and, and every way, shape, or form. So it's going it, to be an exciting summer. It sure is, and I'm so excited for it. I've been to the movie theater uh, this year more times than I've been in the past four years. Perfect. So that's very exciting. But ladies and gentlemen, my name is Will Tarish. This has been a Talk With Tarish podcast. Big thanks to my guest, Sam Bissell. But if you want to find all of my stuff and all the other episodes from this podcast, you know where to find it, biggestpodcastsolutions.com or anyone, everywhere you find all of your podcasts. If you want to be a guest on this podcast or our live show, which is coming, I promise, where we will be live every Monday, 7 o'clock at night with that giant list of random questions we ask. We have all the answers. It's a lot of fun. We have no idea what's going to be said until it leaves our mouths. That's half the fun of it. Email me at will at APSpodcast.com. We're going to sit on an interview like this if you're in the Montclair, Montclair, New Jersey area. Big thanks to Cube Recording Studios for letting us use their studio and being a partner with Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. But if you're not in the area, you can still email me at will at APSpodcast. That's A-P-S-P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com. And if I go, ooh, that's interesting. Congratulations. You made it on the show. But until then, Sam, thanks again. It's great being here. Thank you for having me, man. It's been a great time. We'll be back next time with a brand new guest, a brand new podcast. But until then, y'all take care. We got to go.